A bill where what it aims to accomplish actually matches its title. United States House of Representatives H.R. 1 Lower Energy Costs Act. What is it and how will it possibly fix our energy crisis? On this episode of the New England Take, this week presented by Americans for Prosperity New Hampshire. This is the New England Take. I'm your host, A.J. said Be sure to check out the newenglandtake.com. Like and subscribe if you're checking this out on YouTube. And I am once again filling up the podcast feed. So if you search for the New England Take on your favorite podcast service, you will be able to find us there. Excited to be joined by Chris Mainment. He's the Grassroots Engagement Director over at Americans for Prosperity. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks, AJ. It's great to be here again. So I'm excited to now have a monthly series going on with Americans for Prosperity New Hampshire. So um, before we dive into the subject matter of this episode, I want people to know what AFP is and uh, why people should probably be interested in it, especially if you care about many cultural and political issues in this country. So uh, as you're well aware, AJ, we're a a national nonprofit uh, political advocacy organization And what we seek to do is break down the barriers that government puts in the way of people uh, achieving their full potential. We do that a number of ways. Uh, Here in New Hampshire, we have a lot of success over the past couple of years in terms of education policy, tax policy, regulations, uh, and even some criminal justice reforms that really get the government out of the way so people can uh, achieve the American dream. And so uh, the, we, we primarily engage on policies that help folks economically or in uh, edu- the education sphere. And in criminal justice, we, we're looking to give people second chances and make sure that the criminal justice system is working the way that it's supposed to, where we're re- rehabilitating folks, uh, you know, punishing, uh, taking folks that have committed crimes that have victims, make sure they're rehabilitated so when they come back into society, they can be productive members of society and, and they're not hampered by by their past. So that's that's what we do at the state level here. At the national level, it's largely the same, except we're engaging with members of Congress uh, and, and activists all across the country. And, and our activists really are the lifeblood of how we get this done. We, we go out and we educate, inform, and, and then inspire those folks to take action, to, to be involved in their government, and to make a difference here at the local level and at the national level. Uh, by by pressing for these policies that will help them down the road. Yeah, especially is, that last bit is important to what you do, I'd imagine, as a grassroots engagement coordinator director. What exactly do you do on a daily basis? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's a lot of talking to people, as you can imagine, right? Um, my, my goal is really just to, to reach as many people as possible and to form relationships with people that care about these issues, that want to be involved. Um, and there's a lot of that out there, right? There's a lot of energy there's a lot of angst uh, at the bad policy that's happening. And so if we can educate and inspire those people and tap into the, the motivation that they already have and get them to take action and then give them the tools to be uh, better activists, to go out on their own and reach other people, we can maximize that movement that we're building. We can build m- multiple movements at the same time. Uh, and we can get we can get folks that care about certain policies to go build their own communities to take action. Uh, and really, at the end of the day, that's what I'm looking to do. Uh, I love to train people. I love to have trainings. I love to meet with people, build those relationships and then get them to to take action and, and be involved. Yeah, if you if you're not happy with how your government's working, 
there, there's a way to fix it. You work to uh, work the political process. You try and get people work with people that you agree with. And those you don't agree with, there's always common ground somewhere in the middle, as we definitely saw with bail reform in here in New Hampshire the last few years, where even organizations like the American Civil Liberties Union of New Hampshire has worked with AFP New Hampshire to make sure that those bills for bail reform continue to be um, the, the, the law of the land here in this state. And it's one of the reasons why I originally uh, ended up working with America's Prosperity for the New England take, and I'm excited to, as I said before, once a month they'll be joining the show. I expect to be talking to Chris a fair bit over this series. But this month we're going to be talking about HR1, the Lower Energy Costs Act, uh, sponsored by Representative Steve Scalise. So, what what's the high level if people aren't aware of what HR1 is? Uh, well, first of all, I guess it doesn't have one of those like fancy acronyms that con- Congress likes to come up with, right? You, you, we, we see these all the time, like the Pelosi Act, which would have banned stock trading in Congress and, and things of that nature. They like to be cute with their titles. But this one, they just decided to you know, give it a title that talks about what it actually does. Um, and it's to help lower energy costs for American families. As we know, over the last couple of years, uh, the cost of energy has skyrocketed. The cost of gasoline has skyrocketed. And uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, policies that came out of the Biden White House, that came out of Congress, um, starting with inflationary spending during COVID. Obviously, that played a a major role in inflation. Uh, And then when you pour, so to speak, pour gasoline on that fire by increasing regulations, increasing taxes and making it harder for energy providers to actually create energy for people, you're you're limiting the supply that's in the system, and that is going to have an extra inflationary effect on the cost of energy. And we in New Hampshire felt this very hard this past winter. We had gas prices that were over $4 a gallon. Home oil prices were up close to $6 a gallon at one point. Um, and, and that forces you know regular grand estaters, regular Americans to make hard choices that they shouldn't have to make. They shouldn't have to choose between food and heat. They shouldn't have to choose between paying for gas to get to work and uh, snacks for their kids or extracurricular activities for their kids. Those those are choices that American families shouldn't have to make, right? And the Biden administration, through their policies and and through Congress, have passed these policies and these regulations that have uh, made this problem worse. And and this bill um, aims to help start fixing that problem. Yeah, it's been a lot of shady back and forth when it comes to the Biden administration, the Democrats, especially since Biden was put into office with regards to, oh, OK, we're, we're going to stop allowing drilling. Oh, now we're going to allow drilling. We're going to allow this. but We're not going to allow that to the point where people don't realize it takes a long time for for new oil wells to be drilled, for fracking processes to begin. Like you can sell the land. But it doesn't mean you necessarily have all the permits, the infrastructure, the people and everything else that's required in order to get this this energy that's in the dirt out of the dirt refined and where it needs to be. So it's useful. So our gas prices or home heating oil prices can go down. Yeah. And some of it, you know, even is more insidious than that. It's, you know, taking taxpayer dollars and creating slush funds at the EPA so that they can give grants to their their crony buddies. Right. Um, and, and this act, the, the Lower Energy Cost Act, starts to peel some of that back, starts to take some of the uh, unauthorized power away from the EPA and away from some of these organizations that have gone kind of rogue. Um, there, in, in this bill, it would repeal a new $6 billion tax on natural gas pro- projects. Um, I mean, $6 billion in taxes. You know, the energy company isn't going to pay that. We, you and I know that. They're going to pass that cost on to the to the energy payer, you know, and, and if you're using natural gas 
anywhere in the country, here in New Hampshire especially, um, you're going to be paying that that tax. That's going to come out of your pocket at the end of the day when you're when you're paying for heat at your house or or to cook on your gas stove. Um, it rolls back this $27 billion EPA slush fund that was created um, that, that largely goes to crony projects and, and special interests, right? The, the, in a lot of these climate um, pet projects, so to speak. And uh, this bill also helps improve certainty in the market. Um, you know, when you're, if you're going out and you're going to spend billions of dollars to create this new energy project, like the Northern, Northern Pass or uh, Keystone XL, um, you want certainty that this is going to be a sure bet, right? Investors aren't going to just risk their money when it could be three years, could be five years, could be who knows how long before they get through the regulatory process. Uh, this bill would put in a 120-day deadline on filing litigation uh, and final agency actions concerning energy and mining projects, um, which would give investors and developers uh, much more certainty and, and give them increased confidence in the, in the bets that they're making in the market. Yeah, people would be nuts to be investing in the oil industry when Biden was was elected. Like, there's no way around it. It, it. You would have been knowing you were wasting your money. And there's been many mask off moments from people on the far left of the party that have outright said, like, no, we want this to hurt because we want to force uh, the green energy to, to come to market more quickly. And that obviously hasn't played out. I mean, th you can't force an entire industry to innovate on the fly out of nowhere in an economy that's flailing around post COVID-19, let alone uh, the astronomical inflation we've dealt with over the last 12 months. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Some of these projects make, make complete sense. Some of the, you know, renewable energy projects can, can make perfect sense. Mm -hmm. um, when, when solar panels first came out, they were the sky, the, the cost was through the roof. They were exorbitantly expensive. They weren't providing a good return on investment, but uh, like, like good capitalists, we are the, the products got better. They got more available. There was more competition in the market. Um, of course, there were a lot of government subsidies along the way, which isn't as great, but uh, through competition and, and these developing technologies, now the cost of a solar panel has come in way, way down. Um, and the return on investment can be great if it makes sense for you, for you right? Like the large solar projects uh, can be a great investment if you have the space, if you have the money. Uh, and you're pumping that energy back into the market, that can be a great investment at this point because the cost of solar is 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 reasonable. Um, but at the same at the same time, you make a great point. The government can't just force these things to happen overnight. Um, you know, whether they w think they can or not, uh, somebody's got to pay the price. And there's good faith arguments to be had, uh, long term solutions versus you know short term costs. But if we're if we're like seeking to shut down coal plants and seeking to shut down natural gases just overnight, then it's going to be an exorbitant cost on grand staters, on Americans. Uh, and we we can't afford that as a country. I know I know my family couldn't afford that. This winter was, you know, proof positive. It hurt to fill the oil tank. It hurt. You know, it, it hurt to fill the gas tank on my truck to get to work. Um, and we had to make some choices because of that. My my wife didn't get to go to her mom's as much as she likes to to bring the grandkids over to to grandma's, right? And and things like that. Uh, you know, we we have to allow the market, the free market, to accomplish this in due time. As technology gets better, as costs come down, these uh, products will be on the market. They will make sense. They will provide good return on investment. But the government can't come in heavy handed and force that. Yeah, and, and we we've seen on the world stage 
when it is forced to an even deeper extreme over in Europe where they uh, – over in France where they tried to go whole hog into renewables and nuclear and things like that. They did not do a good job on their rollouts or maintenance of any of them as we saw with their – their, they have like a tremendous amount of their nuclear power plants aren't even operational, which is just bananas to consider the amount of money they've invested into them. And, and now they're reliant on Russian fuel because they didn't make sure that they had any – ethical or domestic energy production that they could do outside of these failing uh, renewables that they've they've invested in. I just want I also want to reinforce like I am fully on board with solar and everything like that if we can have it come to market in an efficient way that can actually take care of the people but I mean as we also see in California where they insist on going into uh, solar before it's really ready and they have a way to store the energy efficiently and they have rolling blackouts. Yeah, I mean, you, we've, we've seen this time and time again. We will continue to see it time and time again when the government comes in um, with all the solutions, you know, they think they have and they have top down mandates. Um, things don't work out so well. Right. But if you allow for these bottom up solutions, if you allow for capitalism and competition, these things will come to market uh, in, an, in a cost effective way where people will want to choose it because it makes sense. Um, I think a great example of this off the top of my head is Tesla. Um, you know, electric cars were, were kind of like this. They were very expensive. They weren't efficient. They they cost a lot of money. They didn't last as long. Uh, and, and Tesla has really, of course, they've taken some government subsidies as well. Right. But um, caveat. Will you offer it? It's going to get taken. It's like it's no way around it. <laughs> if you if you put if you put, you know, cheese on the mousetrap, the mice will go to it every time. Yeah. But um but over the course of Tesla's life, I mean, now you can buy like a a, a model, you know, uh, S or a Model Three. I don't, I don't know three. what the base model uh, Model Three uh, for like a fairly affordable price, and you can install the charger in your home for a fairly affordable price. Um, you know, and that brings up you, you, we we need to make sure if if we're going to be having this push towards electric cars, um, it only furthers the need to make sure that our electric grid mm. and the energy coming into the grid is uh, sustainable over the long term. Because as more and more people plug these electric cars into their homes, we're going to need more and more energy going into the grid to make sure we don't end up with rolling blackouts like they have in California or certain power problems that they've had in Texas. And you know, we've, we've got to make sure that we're in a good place to provide uh, affordable energy to make sure that Americans can heat their homes without having to make these, uh, you know, without inflation taking incredible costs on American families. I guess the one tough question that I really have on this is fracking, which has received a considerable amount of negative attention over the last 20 years and is going to be reintroduced as being a little more supported if this bill does go through. Do you have any comment on that? Well, so what I can what I what I say on that is um, it looks like to me like Congress is going to retake their power. Right. As as of right now, the president with the stroke of a pen has had banned fracking. Um, and, and we're not a country where one guy should be able to do something like that. We, we should have a substantive debate about whether or not it's good, uh, whether or not it has negative effects on on the uh, environment. And that's Congress's role, right? Congress should be able to debate this. Congress should be able to have these conversations, a wholehearted debate, regulate it. Uh, the president shouldn't have the power to, at the stroke of a pen, just ban this outright. And this bill would put the power back where it belongs. Um, if somebody wanted to introduce a bill to, to, to ban it or to regulate it, 
that's well within the purview of Congress, and that's where those discussions should be. It's like typical political process. It, it's there's no nuance. So it's, it's, this is this is horrible. Fracking is destroying these communities. It's the it's Armageddon for Appalachia if, if we if we do it. But there's ways of doing it that that are definitely reasonable. And people that are in Appalachia said it's like oh yeah well. I mean, if you're pulling coal out of the ground, there's going to be a level of moving bad things out of the ground and putting it somewhere else. And if you if you don't just outright ban it and outright go to the other extreme where it's 100 percent unregulated. Yeah, of course. Of course, those, those two extremes are going to be problems. But if Congress actually takes time to figure out what they want to do with this, which obviously is important and should be taken care of um, and not just left to the EPA, for example, to just ban it and unban it every four to eight years, it, <laughs> it, hopefully it, it'll be a little more productive in the long run. Yeah, and that, and that goes back to the uh, predictability that I was speaking about um, and, you know, making sure that these companies and these investors have that predictability so that, um, you know, if, if Biden's reelected or if, you know, a Republican takes the the, corner, the Oval Office, um, then they're not in this this limbo of this back and forth. Or, are, are we going to start a five year project when a Republican takes office, get, knowing that four years from now it might just get canceled when we're 80 percent of the way there? Well, I'm not going to take that that risk with my money. Um, and I know that a lot of, you know, they have a lot more money to risk. So I, I assume that a lot of them would look at it and go, you know, we need a lot more stability. We need a lot more predictability. Um, this bill starts that process of giving that predictability. And I would encourage Congress to to do its job. I, I'm always encouraging Congress to do its job. I don't have my hopes very high, but they should they should get together. They should have a reasonable, substantive debate and they should do what's right for the American people. All right. What what's next for for this bill at this point? So it passed the House. Uh, it was either last week or the week before. Um, there was a you know a flurry of amendments as there always are, which is actually good to see. That's the process working, where members can can bring an amendment and and try to change the bill. And it went through committee and regular process, just as Speaker McCarthy promised. So that's encouraging to see, and I hope that continues. Uh, it's over in the Senate now, where Senate Democrats uh, do have a majority. But we, we do know that um, there are a number of senators that are looking at re-election. There's uh, Senator Joe Manchin in West Virginia, for example. I know West Virginians got hit hard by inflation, um, and he's voted. He's broken with his party a few times. So Americans for Prosperity, um, our headquarters in, in our various state chapters, we're putting pressure uh, on senators to do the right thing and, and support this legislation. Uh, here at home, we can, put, we can put calls into Senator Shaheen and Senator Hassan. Uh, and encourage them to support the Lower um, lower Energy Costs Act, HR1. It's over on their side of the wall. So hopefully they'll take a look at it and do the right thing. Um, in the House, our two congresspeople, Ann Custer and Chris Pappas, did vote against it, um, which, you know, not, not a crazy surprise there. But uh, we, we, there's still time to reach out to Senators Hassan and Shaheen. Uh, and then we have links... On our website, americansforprosperity.org, you can reach out um, if you have friends in, in these various other states. I'd encourage you to have them reach out to their senator and see if we can't get them to, to do the right thing. Chris Mainman, Grassroots Engagement Director at Americans for Prosperity, New Hampshire. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, great to be here, AJ, and I look forward to speaking to you again. Awesome. So. 
Brand new partnership, the New England Take and Americans for Prosperity of New Hampshire. Be sure to check out americansforprosperity.org. Follow them on Twitter, AFP underscore NH. They're obviously on all the other social media platforms too, but I like Twitter, so that, that's where I follow them primarily. So be sure to follow me to New England Take and check out the newenglandtake.com. If you're interested in working with the show, you're a writer, content producer, anything like that, please reach out at the newenglandtake at gmail.com. Like and subscribe if you're on YouTube, and we'll see you in the next episode.